if I could press a button and make my own midlife slump go away, but had to pay the price for it, that the rebound that I think I'm experiencing would not happen, I'd live right through it again. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. If you guys are like me and set a goal for the number of books you want to try to read during the year, an Audible book is a really good way to hit the number, unlike what I sometimes do, which is read children's books and then count them toward my total. If you want to give it a go, head over to audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape for your free audiobook. Happy New Year, you wonderful listeners, you. Happy 2019. Thank you so much for popping in to the Midlife Mixtape podcast, where we celebrate midlife with humor, heart, and a really good beat. I think 2019 is going to be pretty good for us, don't you? Admittedly, we are starting from a very low bar, what with 2017 and 2018 being horrible, but I feel like we're on the upswing now. I can feel it. We're there. Being on the upswing of a curve is actually what today's episode is all about. I first came across the idea of the happiness curve a few years ago when I was writing an essay about how Gen Xers are really good at keeping expectations to a bare minimum. It's kind of been baked into our life experience. And if you're interested in that essay, I actually read that on episode one of this podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and find it. It's right on the landing page at midlifemixtape.com. Uh, under the podcast tab. But the positive response I got to that essay was actually very much responsible for the fact that I decided to start this podcast. I think as Gen Xers, we've gotten the shaft so many times that we learned early on to keep our expectations low. And my theory is that it's one of the reasons we're going to be really good at midlife because we don't have unrealistic expectations of happiness. Anywho, I read even more about the happiness curve while working on the book that I'm writing that's coming out in the fall of 2019, which is The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. So there's a lot of connections scientifically between gratitude and happiness. So I was reading again about the happiness curve. And when I saw the book written by today's guest peeking out of the shelf at my local indie bookstore in December, I grabbed it and two chapters in I decided to invite the author onto the show. Jonathan Rausch is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington. He's the author of six books and many articles on public policy, culture, and government. He's a contributing editor of The Atlantic and recipient of the 2005 National Magazine Award, the magazine industry's equivalent of a Pulitzer Prize. His latest book is The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50, and you're about to hear some very good news from Jonathan. Welcome to the program, Jonathan Rausch. Really happy to have you here on the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Well, I'm so looking forward to talking with you about the happiness curve, why life gets better after 50, but we have to start with our regular icebreaker, which is, what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? I think it was age nine or 10 being taken by my parents to see Harry Belafonte perform (gasps) live. Wow. Magic, pure magic. Where was, was it? 
blown away. Phoenix, Arizona, my hometown. Okay. He came by on one of his one of his big concert tours and electrified the room. Nine's pretty young to see a first concert. I applaud your parents for getting you out there. Yeah, they were from New York, so they were culture mavens. Mm-hmm. And in Phoenix, probably, I, I went to grad <laughs> school in Phoenix, and it wasn't always easy to come by. And well, that's like, right. And if it, if it came, you went to see it. <laughs> There's a lot of research on the relationship between music and happiness. Did you get into any of that when you were doing your research for this book? No, but I'm a failed musician. When I was oh. a teenager, I wanted to be a musician, a pianist, a conductor. And I didn't have the talent. In fact, I couldn't even play the music, but I love music to this day. Um, and there's been a connection in my life because I, I didn't meditate during my midlife slump, but I did spend time playing music, really listening in the dark with nothing else going on. And that, I think, accomplished some of the same function. I didn't know I was self-medicating at the time, but I think I was. Yeah. Uh, it's the right music at the right time. It's better than pharmaceuticals as far as I'm concerned. So I'm glad I'm glad you had a soundtrack to get you through your slump, and which leads us into the conversation about your book, The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. And I wanted to start by congratulating you on coming up with a title that will force every 45-year-old to buy your book. I, mean, <laughs> I really want the 38-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's even better because... It really does start around that age. And I love the approach you took by framing this book through a series of Thomas Cole paintings. I thought that was so interesting. It's a series of paintings called The Voyage of Life. And throughout your book, you talked about what's depicted in the paintings and tying that to the themes of your book. And I wondered how that sort of started for you. What a clever way to do it. And I found myself flipping back and forth to the front piece because you, you include the paintings in the book. Yeah, the paintings for your listeners are from 1840 fairly early American art, and they depict a voyager on the river of time proceeding from youth to manhood to old age. And youth is great aspirations, castle in the sky, an Edenic, beautiful sunlit environment. Middle age is crags and rocks and rapids and dark clouds and, and, and scariness. So the idea that there are problems for people in midlife, that it's a vulnerable time, is, is not new. What really got me started, though, Nancy, was, you know, I always figured if life was not going well, then I'd be unhappy about that. But in my 40s, life was going great. I was meeting or exceeding all my life goals. I had everything to be grateful for, yet I felt this sense of malaise, this drizzle of disappointment. You know, I would, I would wake up in the morning and, and there'd be these kind of internal critics saying, hey, I'm wasting my life. I have to leave everything and start over. And what puzzled me is it made no sense. I mean, I didn't want to leave my life. I was content, better than content. And I got, I got alarmed about that. I got scared. I thought, you know, maybe I've got some weird kind of depression, but I didn't feel like depressed. I just felt this kind of nagging discontent. So five years later or so, I'm talking to an economist colleague at the think tank where I work, Brookings Institution, and she mentions the happiness U-curve. And I say, like, what's that? And it turns out there's these big data sets that find a natural reduction in life satisfaction in middle age, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And I said, that's exactly what happens to me. It's a midlife crisis. Turns out, actually, it's not. It's just a slump, a long, low slump. 
perfectly natural, though perfectly normal. So I wrote this book to explain to people who were where I was what's going on so they don't have to panic. Right. And I think that is such a helpful message because a lot of us come through this era and there are some obvious reasons why our happiness levels may dip. I mean, anybody can look and see the kinds of demands on our time from our children, our parents, our jobs. You know, there's not a lot of extra bandwidth to, you know, do all the things that you think you should be doing to make you happy. But what really struck me about the book, and you guys, I love this book. I'm sitting here with it and like every third page is dog-eared. But what really struck me about it was the biological roots of this. And in fact, not just biological for humans. It was the interspecies midlife transition that I found most compelling of all. So could you talk a little bit about what you found there? So this is a finding that comes from big data economics of all places, not psychology. Psychologists looked at midlife crisis, didn't find it, and said, okay, it doesn't exist. And they moved on. Economists had these data sets from 149 countries, millions and millions of people, and they kept finding this slump in midlife even after you adjusted for the other variables. It seemed like the aging process all by itself was having this effect that made it harder to be happy in midlife than at other times. Not impossible. Lots of people are happy in midlife, but it was like pushing with the current against you at midlife. They didn't know how to explain it, but it was kind of almost universal people started to notice this really sort of started getting attention and really got my attention, though, when the same identical pattern turned up in chimps and orangutans. <laughs> uh, four different collections of primates in three different countries all showed the same pattern. And that's when people started to sit up and say, okay, something may be fairly fundamental and evolutionary seems to be at work here. And it's really about a natural transition from a certain focus, a certain kind of energy, a certain kind of ambition to recalibrating and moving into how you're going to live the rest of your life. It's very natural. It's very normal. And, and very unpleasant. You, it's very <laughs> unpleasant. And as you found, and we've all seen, it's depicted one way in the media, and that's the middle-aged guy with the red sports car. That's the only way anybody ever wants to talk about it. And that's not very helpful. That's not how most people, I think, experience this time of life. It's totally unhelpful. One of the things, there are a few things that make this transition, which is really what it is. It's a transition between the high, in fact, unrealistic expectations of youth and the greater contentment and connection to others, less ambition, more connection that, that comes in late adulthood with this dip in between when we're disappointed in the old values and the new values haven't come yet. But there are a bunch of things that make it worse than it has to be. One is shame. Mm -hmm. That happened to me. I didn't tell anyone, not even my husband, this was going on because I was so embarrassed by it. I thought there must be something wrong with me. And I knew people would make fun of me. They'd say, oh, when are you going to get your sports car? The way we deal with this is we assume that people in their 40s, you know, they're take, they've got responsibilities, careers, kids, parents to look after. We assume they're at their physical peak. They're at their, they have experience. They have emotional strength. So if they're feeling vulnerable in this age, well, there must be something wrong with them. That must be a crisis. So we pathologize it. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to be pathologized and I don't want to be mocked. So I kept it all in. I hid it. I was in the closet for the second time in my life. First time as a young man when I was gay and didn't acknowledge it. And I can tell you, it is it is really hard to deal with emotional stuff without any kind of support. Um, the midlife crisis meme 
It's not completely wrong. Midlife is difficult for a lot of people, but the crisis idea makes it so much harder to deal with than it should be. You know, I think part of what your book does and part of what you have found as a as an antidote to this is normalizing it. Talk about it. Share with other people that you're, you know, feeling disappointed and you're not exactly sure why. And I think this book, and we were just talking about the fact that one of my guests last year was Barbara Bradley Haggerty, who wrote Life Reimagined. And I think there were some similar strains in that in terms of just putting it out there. Yes, people feel this way and people at midlife have these kinds of existential questions and that's okay. It's totally normal and you'll get through it. Totally normal. Yeah. And time is your friend in this situation. Another problem is we make the false assumption that if that we've peaked at 50, you know, the best is behind us because now we're going to age and get senescent and lose capacity and become sad and curmudgeonly and then die. <laughs> Woohoo! And that's, yeah. That to I look mean, forward to. No, no wonder people at 50 feel like, well, what <laughs> I haven't done by now isn't going to get done. The opposite is true. The emotional peak of life for most people is in their 60s, 70s, even 80s. As yeah. we age, it gets easier to be positive. Our brains actually change. This is, you know, you can see this in fMRI machines. We experience less stress in any given situation, less emotional volatility. We're better at balancing multiple emotions, and we reprioritize. We become less interested in climbing the greasy pole of life. You know, scoring points and social ambition, getting that great job, that you know, perfect house, and we get more interested in the people, the relationships that matter most to us, you know, the grandkids, the friends. Um, and it turns out that's a much better way to be happy. So one of the things we've got to help people understand is it's it's totally natural and totally normal. It's not a crisis to feel low at midlife. And in fact, there's this payoff. Actually, it's a transition to contentment that turns out to be very surprising to most people in later adulthood. There was one graph in the book that I went back to a few times and it tracks, so it tracks and help me if I'm not summarizing this correctly, but it kind of looks at what people expect their level of happiness to be over time versus their actual measured level of happiness. And what happens is people expect to be happier than they are, and then they're not as happy at that time. So they lower their expectations and they're still lower. And it just kind of reaches a nadir, you know, at midlife. And then they think it's going to continue to go down. They think they're going to continue to get less and less happy as time passes. And instead, they start getting happier. And because the gap is bigger and bigger, they're like delightfully surprised that they're happy. And so that's the curve. That's that, you know, that's kind of what the curve looks like. And it's it's kind of this idea of lowering expectations can really pay off for you, right? The less you're trying to live up to, the more delightfully surprised you'll be. Yep. And it sounds, well, that's going to be depressing. I'm going to lose my expectations and become pessimistic. But that's not how people experience it. This, the book, as you know, is full of real people stories. I interviewed dozens and surveyed hundreds. And people don't experience this process as, oh, okay, I guess I have to settle for less. I'm never going to meet my goals in life. They experience in this as a change in priorities mm-hmm. toward things that matter more. They experience it as actually, I'm doing many of the same things in my life, but I'm feeling there's additional depth to my life. There's additional meaning. But yeah, the most, the, there are two huge surprises for me writing this book. One is the one I just told you, 
that happiness contentment increases as we age right through the end of life. The other is that midlife slump is very often literally about nothing. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's about nothing. We assume if we feel unhappy in our 40s, well, there's something wrong with my life. Maybe my marriage, maybe my job. I assume that. I had fantasies about leaving my job. That can cause a real crisis because that's not actually what's happening. Right. What's actually happening is this self-generated internal process of change in our brains, in our values, in our expectations, all going on at once. It's subjective. And part of the reason it's so important to reach out and have a social framework for this adjustment, not have everyone fighting through it on their own, is to help people avoid the mistakes that can happen in midlife when we misattribute what's going on. You know, when we throw away the good marriage that we could have saved, mm -hmm. we make big mistakes. Most people don't do that. Most people just soldier on. That's what I did. But some people, you know, there's a profile of a guy in my book who, you know, went out and started drinking and he thought he was unhappy at work. He was just experiencing this transition. But he started drinking and he spiraled and he crashed and he wound up losing his job and being in rehab. So midlife crisis can occur, but it's usually because we mishandle this natural transition and we need help with that. Mm -hmm. And when you talked about and identified practices that help people navigate this voyage of life, this particular part of the four-part painting, some of the things you mentioned were obviously this sharing and normalizing and helping one another recognize that, that we're not isolated in, in this. One of the other things you said was step, don't leap. So what what's that all about? That goes to the point we were just talking about. Change is often good at any time of life and often necessary. And I'm I'm not telling people Look, if you're feeling unhappy with your job at 45, stick with it necessarily. Maybe you do need a change. It's a question of how you change. These voices that pestered me and pester a lot of people will try to say, let's throw everything away. I feel trapped. I feel disappointed. I've got to start over. I need to you know, move to the Bahamas and open a bike shop or whatever the dream well, is. Well, we all need to do that. I mean, that's a given, but yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... These voices of impulsivity are not our friend. In midlife, it's especially important to stage change in a stepwise, rational way. Again, consult with others on this. Does this change make sense for me? Does it make sense on my, for my family? Does it build on my existing strengths? Does it build on my social capital? Is it something, is there a plan B? If it doesn't work out, am I making proper preparations? So step don't leap means that you can get the change without the downside of crashing and burning. Right. And I think that is where having the community, having friends who can thoughtfully reflect back to you, you know what, that really does not seem to be the thing that you should be doing right now. Or maybe that's a, maybe that's a bridge too far, or maybe that's exactly the right bridge to go over. I think sometimes it's hard to see it for yourself. It's, it's almost impossible to see it for yourself. I'm a big fan of coaching. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, coaching is a non-medical approach that says, okay, let's work together to figure out how to better align your life with your values. And the reason coaching is can be so important, whether it's formal coaching, someone you pay, or informal coaching from friends and family, is we're actually really quite poor as individuals in working out why we're happy or unhappy. It's easy to make mistakes. It's hard for us to see our lives as they really are. 
So it's important to have good counsel and and good advice and people to work through these issues with. If there's one takeaway from my book, which I think is different from what other people have written, and which I think is truly important, it's that midlife slump is not a me problem. It's a we problem. It's a social problem. Mm -hmm. It's something that we need the help of other people with, and it's something where we should all be helping others. And that will make, you know, I'm all for self-help, and there's a whole chapter in the book about things that people can do as individuals if they're stuck in one of these slumps. Very important, but more important still, helping each other, creating channels and institutions and education programs and stuff like gap year for people in midlife. Oh, yeah, I like that idea. I'm yeah, for that. Yeah, and destigmatizing midlife slump so that people aren't afraid to talk about it and understand it's normal. And making sure that if you know someone who seems to be having trouble in midlife, how about Ixnay on the red sports car jokes? <laughs> right. You know, how about some different things? Yeah, and let's try to be supportive and understand that, I mean, this is like... Imagine being a teenager without any of the supports that we provide for kids that are going through the the changes of that period of life. You know, imagine without the schools that are aware of it and the churches, the community groups, the extracurricular activity, all the many ways that we provide guidance. Imagine if we just said, hey, you're on your own, be strong, and gee, got your pimples yet? It would be devastating. And no teen would come out of her bedroom or his bedroom, <laughs> which some days is how we all feel at midlife. We'd like to not do that either. But Yeah, yeah, except we don't get the support. Yeah, and then, and I think one of the things, too, that you make the point, we would probably do well to tell our teens this, waiting is a legitimate strategy. It, you know, it gets better. It does get better. And even if you do nothing else but just believe that it will get better, you'll get to that point. Yeah, that's ultimately what worked for me. I mean, I did a few things, but I was out there on my own flapping around, not knowing what was going on, thinking maybe I'd never be happy again. It was it was not a good time. Emotionally, though, you know, it was a great time objectively. But the odd thing that happened is right around the age of 50, early 50s, my life got worse. Both parents died. I was the caregiver in a very sad situation that my father had and my job disappeared because you know journalism is a mess and I tried launching a startup and it completely crashed and burned so I started experiencing setbacks yet at the same time I started noticing this fog of disappointment seemed to be lifting a little bit I wasn't sure first year couple years it's very gradual it's gradual down and then a long time at the bottom and gradual up but by 54 or so I was pretty sure I was out of this slump. And it's time, really. Time right. is, is on your side. So part of this is not being pessimistic about the future. This isn't forever. This isn't the rest of your life. It's just for now. Right. Yeah, I feel like it's one of the gifts of time is I, the older I get, the more I can look back on and say, you know what, this is similar to another thing that happened to me and I survived that and I'm going to be fine this time. And it's, it's not fun to go through, but it's temporary. The good stuff, the bad stuff, it's all temporary. It's temporary. It's normal. It's actually healthy. If I could press a button and make my own midlife slump go away, but had to pay the price for it, that the rebound that I think I'm experiencing would not happen. I'd live right through it again. Mm. There's a payoff here. It's it's a transition. It's something we need to go through. 
Were there any findings that surprised you that, you know, anything you expected to be helpful with regard to midlife happiness that wasn't? Well, when I went looking online, I sure found a lot of stuff that was not helpful. (laughs) There's lots of advice for the variety of get exercise and plenty of sleep and that kind of thing. And I kind of thought that that missed the point. Well, I'll tell you what was helpful to me, the study of orcas. So there is a study that found that young male orcas do better if they have a grandma orca. And I'm like, that I, that resonates with me. I'm going to be helpful to all the young male orcas in my orbit. Because <laughs> I'm going to be an old, smart orca grandma someday. So that's my plan, everyone. Well, that's one of the surprises, big surprises researching this book. Almost up there with the other two is the surprise about wisdom, which seems to be part of the story here. That's the aspect of my research that I have least occasion to talk about, but in some ways is to me the most powerful and moving lesson, which is, if you want it, wisdom is real. It's a scientific concept. It's not a fairy tale Aesop's fables kind of thing. It's measurable and quantifiable. It's different from any other human trait. It's not the same as experience or expertise or knowledge or intelligence, it makes you happier. And although it doesn't necessarily follow that you get wiser with age, because wisdom is rare at any age, it gets easier to be wise with age. And that's a pretty awesome gift. Well, you're a little further up the curve from me, I think. You're a few years older than me. Are you finding the research bears out? It sounds like you you do see that you're you're well, continuing to be on the upward trend that you'd write about at I, the end I'm of the book. A, I used to think I was special, Nancy, but here <laughs> yeah, I am. I think I'm, you're I'm, special. <laughs> I'm a textbook case. I bottomed out around in my mid to late 40s. Though I think maybe I really knew something was wrong at age 45 when I won the biggest award in journalism for a magazine writer, the equivalent of the Pulitzer. That the would be the National gets. Magazine Award in 2005, everybody. So Jonathan's yeah. being a little, bit, a little bit modest. That's a big deal. I'm trying not to be too modest, but it was, it was super amazing. I never expected it to happen to me. It's the ultimate career validation. And that finally did turn around my sense of, of self-worthlessness and disappointment for about 10 days. And then the voices came right back. And that's when I knew what I'm in is not rational. And that's when I started to get really worried. I was going to be stuck in this weird mindset forever And then that's, so the bottom would have come a couple of years after that. And then, as I said, I started moving out. So that's, the statistics are that in the U.S. and the U.K., that's about what happens on average. So I'm a very average case. I I say in the book again and again, your mileage will vary. We're talking about statistical averages and norms. Lots of people have lots of different experiences, but I was, I was textbook. So what are the things that you are doing now to move towards that that path to wisdom? What I learned researching this book, which I kind of thought I knew, but had no idea how deep and powerful the research is, the key to happiness in life, far more important than anything else, is all happiness is social. We're social animals all the way down. Mm-hmm. It's about being in trusting, valued relationships with people who love you and care about you and that you love and care about. Other things are important, you know, health and wealth above a certain minimal point, 
But none of those things are nearly as important as social. That's another reason why I stress again and again. Happiness is not a me phenomenon. It's a we phenomenon. And what I learned is that it's really important to strive for generosity, to try to be as good to people as they deserve and as appreciative of them as they deserve. I am not a naturally generous person. And I have a lot of work to do on that score. But but doing this research has added to my sense that I need to try harder as I get older to be better at being generous and caring and letting the people I love know that I love them. Well, as we head into 2019, I think that's a really wonderful thing for all of us to keep in mind. And I, I think you're probably being a little hard on yourself. Well, ask my husband on Sunday. <laughs> I will. I'm calling him right after <laughs> we get off the phone. So, Jonathan, the last question we always ask is, what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? And you've basically written a book to do that, but I'm going to give you a chance <laughs> yeah. to, to do bonus. Would it be cheating to say, go read my book? No. No, I think um, I really recommend this book, you guys. Let, here, I'll, as, let me fluff this for you, Jonathan, because I mean it. I was reading it on my flight home and just you know, feeling better and better as I went through it. I I think I too am probably on the upward tick now. And things, if you look on a quantitative basis, I've got some things that are going great. Some things are really hard right now. I've got a mom who's going through cancer treatment and I don't live close to her and that's always hard. And, you know, there's always things happening, but overall I feel more optimistic than I would have if I were facing this, I think five or six years ago, just because we're going to get through all of this. We, we're all equipped to do it. And reading your book made me think, okay, it's not just in my head. It's actually science. That's so important. It's the only way out of this kind of slump is through. It's an important transition in life. We talked about that. But one of the things that can really mitigate it is understanding what's going on and why yeah. this is actually a helpful and normal process. And yeah. I wasn't trying to be silly or just self-promoting when I said my advice to a younger person is is read my book. Because the reason I wrote this book is it tries to tell the younger me, the me of 20 years ago when I was 38, all the things that I wish I could have known at that age. I would still have had some struggles in midlife, but I would have been a lot less alarmed, a lot less pessimistic. And that would have really helped. The problem was you hadn't written it yet, but you know, well, we can the suspend the time-space continuum. Yeah, and the knowledge didn't exist yet. Part of what's exciting about this research, this is really new stuff. This comes along in the 2000s, and the biggest discoveries are within the last 10 years, and it's all unfolding right right now. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jonathan Rausch, I really appreciate your time. The book is called The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. Jonathan and I are both attesting to that. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be with you. You may have heard the little yelp I made when Jonathan suggested a midlife gap year. Holy Lord, is that an idea whose time has come. It is so brilliant and so needed. And I say this because I went over to the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page, and I went to Midlife Mixtape on Twitter and Instagram to ask what you guys thought of the idea. And uh, you liked it, to put it mildly. There were tons and tons of ideas of what people would do if given a magical midlife gap year. And I think 99% of them involved a passport. 
There were semesters at sea and at Oxford. There were writing retreats in Mexico and cooking classes in Greece. There were seven continent pilgrimages. And there were people who wanted to teach and build schools in less developed areas of the world. There is an entire midlife mixtape nation just waiting to take over an Italian village. And there were, in fact, a thousand reasons why we should normalize the idea of a midlife gap year. So who's with me? Who is in charge of midlife gap year policy for planet Earth? I need to have them on the show. It also makes me think I should do another travel-themed episode of some kind. If you haven't already heard episode 17 with travel writer Lavinia Spaulding, that one might tide you over in the meantime. Who can we talk to about midlife gap years and making it a thing? I think Andrew McCarthy. He's a travel writer, and he's now a director at the National Geographic Channel. I think he probably has connections. Speaking of travel, I did post a few pictures on Instagram and Facebook from our trip to pick up our study abroad daughter uh, over the holidays. It was really fun. We got to go to Ireland. She studied in Dublin all semester. So we were there, and then we had a few days in London. And the only downside is that now my husband says the word 33 with an Irish accent. Turty tree. He loves that word. Turty tree. If there's turty tree of anything, he really wants in. So please do not give him cause to say turty tree at any time. Okay, thank you. As for a book update, I sent in my next round of edits in mid-January. So this week, I'm going to find out if there's anything left to do or if we're pretty close to ready to go. So please pray to whatever higher source is available to you that it's the latter. And I also saw much further developed covers that made me so happy. So we're definitely moving in the right direction there. I'll know the release date pretty soon, and I promise I'll tell you when I get it. And I'm always happy to hear from you guys at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Midlife Mixtape. And if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. You may need to show them how to listen to a podcast first. You'd be surprised how many people still think they can't get them on their phones. So maybe you could help if you know how. I've taken many an iPhone out of someone's hand and introduced the owner to the purple podcast tile. Okay, I know we usually have two weeks between episodes, but I want to go into the new year with some momentum. So episode 47 is coming out already next Tuesday. My guests will be the two founders of Prepare to Launch You, an online program designed to help midlife women re-enter the workforce. I promise there are tips that apply regardless of your gender or your job status. So tune in next week for my chat with the Prepare to Launch You ladies. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, every day brings you one step closer to the upside of the U curve. I wish it for all of us. All right, you guys have a wonderful week. I wanna be, I wanna be free 